We are in a sermon series called Thriving in Exile. Thriving in Exile. And what this is about is we're talking about a series about how do we remain faithful to God when our culture isn't? How do we remain faithful to our God? How do we, how do we live as followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't necessarily value the same things that we value, that they don't walk the same way that we walk, they don't, they don't uh, worship the same things that we do? How do we remain faithful in the midst of a culture that, that isn't faithful to God? And, and, and so we've been talking about and walk, working our way through the book of Daniel. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel have been really, really helpful for us as we've been thinking about how do we thrive in our own exile because Daniel was in exile as well. And what we saw last week is that even as an exile, God had his hand upon Daniel and his friends, and God gave an answer to prayer, which means he gave uh, Daniel the dream of the king, not only the dream, but its interpretation. And Daniel got promoted, which was awesome, right? Because the other option was being torn from limb from limb and his house laid in ruins. And so one or the other, um, and they went with the promotion side, which I'm sure made Daniel very happy. So um, we talked about that last week, and, and now Daniel and his friends, his three friends, actually get promoted as well. Now they're in this spot of leadership, which you would think would be awesome, right? We would think that being, being in leadership would be great now that we have arrived. And, and a lot of people strive for leadership. We, we live in a culture that values leadership. We want people to be leaders, right? Um, but also with leadership, and me, you might not know this, or maybe you do, but with leadership comes really, really tough decisions. When you're a leader, you have to make hard decisions, and the decisions you make is not going to make everyone happy, right? And when you're a leader, when you're a leader, you're going to have to make hard decisions. When you're a leader, you have to face criticism. People that don't even know who you are like to critique you, they like, to, they like to just take pot shots at you. It's a really fun uh, thing when you open up your inbox and uh, you see just people like, I wasn't at your church, but bam, right? And just criticism. And that happens. When you're a leader, you're going to face criticism. When you're a leader, you're going to have to make hard choices and you're going to be criticized for those choices. And when you're a leader, you have to face risk. Those are just realities. As being, a, as being a leader, if you go, I want, I want to be a leader, the reality is you're going to have to make hard decisions, you're going to have to face criticism, and you're going to have to take risk. And all of that takes courage. And what we're going to see today is courage on display. But how does a person get courage? How do, how do you develop courage? And that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is courage as we're in Daniel 3, where they're going to need lots and lots of courage. Um, but really, courage is this. Courage is established by trust and measured by sacrifice. Courage is established by trust and measured by sacrifice. What I mean by that is, is when you put your trust in something and you develop a, a relationship with someone and, and you start to trust them and then they challenge you and they're ahead of you and they ask you to step into the unknown because you trust them, you can have the courage that, hey, they were with me here and now I know they will be with me here, right? So this idea of like courage is established by trust and so when we don't have anybody we can trust or nothing that we can trust, it's really hard to be courageous, because you don't know if, it's gonna, if the bottom's going to fall out underneath you. But courage is established by trust and measured by sacrifice. It takes courage to make decisions that require sacrifice, right? Those decisions that we make that do not require any kind of sacrifice, those don't require courage. 
Those decisions are long forgotten, but courage is measured by the amount of sacrifice that we have to make. And today you're going to see, one, how courage was established in these young men, but then also the amount of courage it's going to take to make the decisions that they do. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. We're going to be in a, in a long stretch again, lots of narrative. I'm going to be reading a lot again this week, but it'll go. It'll be great. So, Daniel 3, 1 through 7, is this is how we set the stage. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its breadth 6 cubits. We're going to talk about that measurement in a sec. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the perfects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the perfects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered to the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And a herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, uh, har- uh, horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sound of, uh, of the hornpipe, lyre, dragon, harp, uh, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and language fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, I didn't have a bouncy ball at that one point, so I just had to hop along with it. Um, so here's the deal. King Nebuchadnezzar says, I got this brilliant idea. I want to make a statue. I want to make a statue that should be worshipped. I want to make a statue that should be worshipped. And then he says, uh, go big or go home. So we're going to make it 60 cubits tall and 6 cubits wide. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches. So we're talking something, uh, you know, like 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. I mean, like, this thing is massive. King Nebuchadnezzar doesn't do anything small. We're going to find that out. Maybe you found that out already. But he doesn't do anything small. He's like, I got this idea, this brilliant idea. I'm going to make an image, and then we're all going to worship it. And what we're going to do is, because I've conquered so many nations, because I've, because I've done so many things and gathered so many people in, that we're going to take all of their instruments of worship, horns and bagpipes and, and, and lyres and all those kinds of things. We're going to take all those instruments, and when they blast their instruments of worship, instead of worshiping their God, they're going to worship the image that I have created. And in, in, as an incentive to help you in your worship. If you don't, I'm going to burn you alive. Okay, that's, that's the plan. That's the plan. And when you're King Nebuchadnezzar, you have no one else to walk around you and go, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. He goes, I got this a brilliant idea. Let's run with it. Okay, and so he says, we're gonna create this, and if not, we're gonna throw you into a furnace, a fiery furnace. Um, I, we have a, a picture, I, I believe, of, of a furnace, um, what we're talking about. Furnaces were really, really important in those days. Um, they made weapons, um, they, they did pottery, those guys, yeah, so like, this is kind of like a, an artist rendition of a furnace. So you, you stoke the fire in the bottom, you walk up there, and you do kind of furnace-type stuff, you know, smelting and pottery and kilning and all that kind of fun. So, um, they said, great idea, this is awesome, let's all worship the golden image, 
And here we go. And if you don't, you're going to immediately be thrown into the fiery furnace. Immediately is a very important word that we're going to talk about. And it's because he says immediately, that's what's going to happen. So that's the situation we find ourselves in. Um, There's a slight problem, though. Some of the people who are followers of the God of the Bible are part of the leadership, and uh, they're faced with a dilemma, a really hard decision. What do you do? Um, And that's where we pick it up, verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they have this thing, right? We have this, 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 this giant, massive statue, kind of hard to miss, right? 90 feet tall. Um, that they're supposed to fall down and worship, and it's put right in the province of Babylon, which is right where these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are followers of the God of the Bible, they're Jews, they, they're friends of Daniel's, they're in leadership, and they're faced with a dilemma. Do I worship an idol? Do I worship an image? Or do I worship the God who has preserved my life? Do I worship the God that I trust? Or for the sake of my own life, do I bow down and conform? And what we find is that, uh, is that they weren't bowing down. They had made a decision. They had, they had conviction. They had made a decision beforehand. We are not going to bow down. We hear all the instruments being played. We are not going to bow, and we're not going to give our allegiance of worship to another. The greatest leaders in the world know when to stand on their convictions. They know when they, they, know when they need to stand firm, and they know when they need to adapt. The greatest leaders know when, it's, when, it's, when these are these moments where I have to stand firm, and the other one's going, you know what? I can adapt to that. I can, I can move with that. What we've seen so far is that Daniel and his friends refused to eat the king's food. They were, there was unclean food. It was dishonoring to God, and they refused to dishonor their God. That was a conviction. We're not going to dishonor God. So we're not going to dishonor God by the way we eat. We stood firm. But when they went to school, they had to learn about the Chaldean uh, God system that was going on. So they had to learn about pagan gods, and they had to learn about animal sacrifice. They had to learn about the occult. And they had to learn about the dark arts. They had to learn about all these different things. And they're like, yeah, we'll learn that. I don't subscribe to that belief system, but I can learn that. And not only did they learn it, but they graduated at the head of their class. They knew when to adapt. They knew when they, knew when they go, you know what? I'm going to learn this, and we're going to keep moving forward. And they knew there's times like, no, this would bring dishonor to God. I'm not going to do it. And so these three men said, we are not going to do this. When it came to the loyalty of God or something else, they would stand firm. Now, they're not being arrogant they're not being arrogant in this moment. They're not, they're not trying to cause a scene. They're not trying to do anything like that. They're just refusing to bow down and worship something that is false. And people saw that. And they reported to the king. Like a four-year-old tattletale. King, king, king. You said this. Remember when you said this? You said this. 
They don't get to. Why do I have to? Right? Like, I'm just like, just whining. So Nebuchadnezzar hears, the, hears this, and he says, they, they also said, you know, that these guys don't pay any attention to you, and they don't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, dragon, harp, bagpipe, and every other kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? It's pretty ominous. What I think is amazing is that the rule was that they were to be immediately thrown into the fire, but what we find is, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have gained so much influence with the king that they weren't immediately killed. Isn't that incredible? Like, he gives them a second chance. I think that speaks a lot to the character and the value that these three men had to the king. Because he could have just thrown them in the furnace, but he decided not to. He's like, oh, that's cute, bring them in, right? And they, he brings them in, and he says, listen, Maybe you didn't hear me the first time, so let me repeat myself. When you hear the sound of the music, bow. And if you want to do that now, well and good. We can sweep this under the rug. We can just forget this ever happened. You just need to know your place. But if you don't, then I'm throwing you in the fire. And who's the God that's going to save you? which I think is really interesting, Nebuchadnezzar thinks very highly of himself. And one of the things that he thinks is, is he's more powerful than any god. He says, I'm king, and I'm king of the world, and who's going to deliver you? Your gods didn't save you from my army coming in and laying your, your, your city to waste. How is he going to save you from this? It would take something supernatural to, to rescue you from this. And I will tell you right now, I am in control, says Nebuchadnezzar. He says, who's going to deliver you? What god is going to deliver you out of my hands? What we come to next is one of the coolest parts of Scripture that I know. I love this next section. It is just awesome. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Awesome. <laughs> I love this scripture. I love this scripture. They had made a decision. They said, we don't need to defend ourselves. 
You're bringing here and you're asking me to give you a defense of what I, and explain my actions. I'll tell you this right now. I don't have a need to defend myself to you. I have a God who defends me. I don't need to make my case. I don't need to plead my argument. I don't need to be clever. I have a God that I worship that defends me. He was with me when I was taken into exile. He's been with me in my schooling, in my training. He's been with me in Babylon all along. I don't need a defense of my own power. I have the God of the universe that is my defender. And he can save me. He can save me from this fire. He can pull me out. He can do whatever he wants. And he can, he can overrule the laws of nature that he himself created. He can save me from the fire. And he will deliver me out of, out of your hand. And this next part. But even if he doesn't, even if my king even if my God decides that it is time for me to go meet him by way of fire, even if he doesn't save me from this fire, my last words to you, O king, are this. I will not serve your gods. I will not bow down to your demands. And I will not worship the golden image that you have set up. the amount of courage that that takes. How in the world did they have that amount of courage? Because they had a trust in a God who was bigger than the king. And he says, and they made a decision. They, they, they made a decision beforehand. I will not dishonor my God. And if it means dishonoring my God or death, I'd rather die. This is the moment where they had to stand firm. Can you imagine making that difficult decision, like worship or die? Like that's a big decision. And they already did it once. They refused to bow down. And now they're in the presence of the king. He's like, I'm going to give you a second chance to bend on these convictions. I'm going to give you a second chance to turn away from this. And they were resolute and they stood firm. And they said, the trust in my God is greater than the trust in the king. My God can save me, but even if he doesn't, even if he chooses not to, that doesn't matter to me, but what does matter to me is this, I will not serve another. I will not worship and bow down to another, whether I live or I die. at this moment that King Nebuchadnezzar has to respond. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You ever had those moments when someone changed their face against you? He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to cast them into the burning fire, fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. 
Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a bad day on that job. Number 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to him, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar is unyielding, and he says, I, you have insulted me, and now I'm going to kill you and kill you dead. If there's ever a moment of overkill, it's this moment. Fire is going to torch them. Let's make it seven times hotter, right? Let's, like, let, let's really kill them. Let's tie them up. Let's get all this stuff. Let's get all this stuff together. Let's just tie them up and let's just chuck them in the fire. Just in this rage. And the fire is so hot that the guards who have to take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up to the thing are killed themselves, right? You see the fiery furnace, you're looking at, hey, Bill, Ted, where are we going to do this? <laughs> Tell my kids I love them, right? And they go up, and they go up, and they're, they're killed themselves, and they get thrown, and they fall into the fire, right? The, the fire just envelops these other guards. The guards, they die. They're kind of bound up, and they, all of a sudden they fall into the fire. And they start looking into the furnace, and Nebuchadnezzar notices something. Number one, they're not dead. Number two, they're not tied up. And number three, there's not three. There's four walking around in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, hey, 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 come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Three, correct? Three, three, three? Everybody goes, yeah, three. <laughs> we were here, three. Then how come I see four, and one of them doesn't look normal? One of them looks like the son of the gods. There's something different about the fourth. There's something different about what's happening here. There is something going on. Now, the Bible is amazing, and the Bible is set up into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. The Old Testament points everybody to Jesus. The New Testament points back and reflects upon the life of Jesus. But what's really cool is sometimes throughout the Old Testament, we see the appearance of God. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so what we see in the middle of this is Jesus in the fire saving them, which points to a time when Jesus will save us again. And he sees them in the fire, and he has to double check with everybody. He says, why is there four? Verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar came near, and to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the perfects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. 
Their hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, oh, yeah, there we go. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who, set up his, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trust in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speak anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their house laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. They come out. The fire rages. They're called out in the middle of this. And in the midst of all the governors, all the satraps, all the officials, all the people, there's lots of witnesses to this. This story got around, by the way, because everybody saw what happened. Non-believers, non-worshippers of the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, people who didn't even believe in God saw what happened. And in the presence of doubters, in the presence of critics, in the, pre in the presence of enemies, God delivered his people. And Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. But he's still Nebuchadnezzar, right? <laughs> he, they're the servants of the most high God. Anybody else, we're tearing you limb from limb and we're burning your house to the ground, okay? Anybody, you speak against this God because this is what I've seen. And they got promoted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were promoted in the province of Babylon. I want you to notice something about this, though, which is really amazing. Because we can look at the, the courage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and think that they're the hero of the story. But they weren't the ones who delivered themselves from the fire. And their life was always about pointing people to God, even if it meant their own life. God is the hero of their life. God is the hero of the Bible, and God is the one that gets all the glory and all the credit. He's not, yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yeah, they get promoted, but the king, the king recognizes that there's something greater at work. The most high God was in their midst. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego pointed people to God even after that as well. They were promoted but they didn't make it about themselves. They talked about, let me tell about the time that God saved me. God delivered them from the fire, okay? There's a difference between being saved from the fire and surviving fire, okay? If you survive a fire, you'll be burned, you'll have other things, you know, like all these different things. There's surgeries and lots of things. If you survive a fire, there's things that we can do, doctor, medical help. These men, weren't, these men didn't survive the fire, they were saved from it. They were not overtaken. There wasn't a singed hair on their scalp. There was nothing that was damaged in their clothes. 
and they didn't even smell like the fire. You ever been around a fire and just smell like it? You're like, oh yeah, good camping, right? These men were saved from the fire, delivered miraculously. And why do these guys have so much courage to do that? Because they had a trust in a God that they knew. And courage is established in trust and measured by sacrifice. And guys, there's these moments in our life. There's these defining moments in our life where we need courage. These moments that, these, these markers in your life that, that change the trajectory of your life. And in these moments, in these times, what will we do? And here's the thing. We have to determine before those moments what we will do. We have to have conviction. We have to have what we believe in. We have to know what we are going to do and where we are going to stand firm and where we are going to adapt. We need to know those moments and we need God to search our hearts and help us in those moments because the days are coming when we will have these opportunities to stand for God and we will see God move. Now, sometimes you'll get promoted and sometimes you'll get burned. Hebrews 11 talks all about that, that God delivered people out of the furnace and saved people from the mouths of lions and did all these things. But he also had people who, were, who gave their lives, who were sawn in two, who were fed to lions, who, who the world was not worthy. Here's the thing. We need to stand for what we believe in and let the results be God's. Stand for what we believe in and let God deal with the results. Because either way, whether we live or we die, we will honor our king, the king who saved us, the king who forgave us, the king who gave us his one and only son, the king who paid for our sin, made us clean, and adopted us into his family, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us and loves us deeply. We can trust him because he has saved our souls. Let us have the courage when we step into the unknown and let the results be God's. Let's pray.